Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Today on the show, Lithia's net income slips in the first quarter. For the sixth time, Tesla is cutting prices. And Rivian will open its growing EV charging network to the public. Plus, Automotive News GM reporter Lindsay Van Hulley recently got a chance to ride in a cruise robo-taxi. She talks about the glitch she encountered and why she'd ride again in the future. It was, you know, one of those kind of initially unsettling experiences. You know, I've never been in a car that didn't have a driver, but it was interesting to me watching it kind of check all those safety boxes. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Lithia's first quarter net income dropped by a third. That's as the auto retail giant saw double-digit percentage declines in new and used vehicle gross profit for each car or truck sold and lower average used vehicle selling prices. Revenue for the growing retailer increased 4% to a first quarter record of just under $7 billion, but net income fell 33% to about $230 million and expenses cut into profits. Lithia sold about 68,000 new vehicles in the first quarter. That's up about 4.5%. It sold 78,000 used vehicles, up 6%. The company says it has acquired $16 billion in annualized revenue since July 2020. That's when it revealed its five-year plan to reach $50 billion in annual revenue by 2025. Jake, this feels like it's becoming a weekly segment here on the show. Tesla, once again, is cutting U.S. prices. This time, the world's EV leader is cutting prices of its best-selling Model Y crossover and entry-level Model 3 sedan. Now, the timing is interesting. It comes on the eve of first-quarter earnings that post after the market closed today. This marks the sixth time this year the automaker has cut stickers on its four-vehicle lineup, The automaker also recently cut prices in Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. As we said yesterday, one of the key topics Tesla is expected to address on Wednesday's earnings call is how multiple rounds of price cuts will affect the automaker's industry-leading profit margins. Tesla is also expected to touch on this year's scheduled launch of the Cybertruck pickup and an update on in-house battery cell production. On that note, Tesla CEO Elon Musk has said the only thing holding back electric vehicle sales is their price. Well, companies like BYD are solving that problem in China. They could be getting ready to solve it for the world. China's largest EV maker this week unveiled the Seagull at this Shanghai auto show. It's shocking analysts and rivals with the car's specs, a battery range of more than 186 miles, and a starting price of just over 11 grand. That's about a quarter of the price of most EVs now on the market in Europe. As we just noted, Tesla cut prices in the U.S. for the sixth time this year, looking to drive demand in the face of economic uncertainty and growing competition. Tesla's price cuts have prompted other automakers, including in China, to follow suit. But the Shanghai show and the Seagull highlight a related dynamic, Chinese automakers are now leading the world in making EVs that compete on price and technology for the average budget. And Tesla rival Rivian will open its rapidly growing fast charge network to the public as early as next year. In many ways, 
Rivian is following in Tesla's footsteps, which built its supercharger network into the largest and most reliable system of fast chargers in the U.S. Tesla began opening its network to non-Tesla vehicles in February. Rivian's fast charging network is exclusive to its customers right now, but CEO RJ Scaringe said this month on the Waveform podcast that the company will open charges to the public to help alleviate the shortage of reliable fast charging sites for EV drivers. I think, you know, Tesla's network's a very strong network, clearly the best network that's out there today in what we're building. We hope to create a, a network that is equal level of density in terms of chargers, but also in terms of uptime. The Rivian Adventure Network currently has 30 sites using DC chargers developed and manufactured at its normal Illinois factory. Skarin says the EV maker has hundreds more in the works. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, if you've listened to the show recently, you know that Cruz's ambitions for its robo-taxi business are soaring. Automotive News GM reporter Lindsey Van Hulley joins us next to talk about how realistic those goals are and what her recent ride was like inside a Cruise robo-taxi. That's next on Daily Drive. Hi, I'm Pete Bigelow, host of Shift, a podcast about mobility from Automotive News. Each week, I bring you a conversation with leaders who are on the cutting edge of transportation, like this one with consultant and strategist Salika Josiah Talbot. The technologists are forcing themselves in a space that they shouldn't be. And I think the social scientists and politicians are falling down on the job. To hear more about the new technology and policy reshaping the way people and goods move around, join me on Shift. New episodes each Sunday on autonews.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Last year was rough for the autonomous driving industry. We saw the fall of Argo AI, the AV unit backed by Ford and Volkswagen. Investors began to sour on AV technology and other mobility companies. But none of that has slowed down General Motors' robo-taxi unit Cruise. This year, CEO Kyle Vogt tells us at Automotive News that Cruise is entering a new phase of rapid growth. It aims to expand its commercial operations, currently limited to portions of San Francisco, Phoenix, and Austin, Texas. It's preparing for volume production of the Origin, an autonomous vehicle with no steering wheel or pedals, at GM's Factory Zero in Detroit. And Vote says the company is on track for, if not ahead of, its goal to reach a billion dollars in revenue by 2025. Automotive News GM reporter Lindsey Van Holy wrote about Cruz's plans for expansion on the front page of this week's print edition of Automotive News, which also features her column on riding in one of Cruz's robo-taxis for the first time. I caught up with Lindsey to talk all about it. I reached her at her home office near Lansing, Michigan. Lindsay Van Holy, welcome back to Daily Drive. Glad to be here. So you heard directly from Kyle Vogt recently about Cruz's plans to enter this sort of new phase of rapid growth. What does that look like and what is he saying about this? Yeah, they have been talking for a little while about, you know, 2023 really being a big kind of breakout year, big, you know, kind of pivotal year for the company. And when we talked to Kyle recently, he told us essentially that this is going to be a big year for them to kind of really move out of, you know, the R&D stage and out of the early commercialization stage that they've been in for a while, you know, kind of setting up their service in San Francisco and 
you know, getting the first driverless rides and beginning to charge, you know, passengers for rides in San Francisco and really looking at, at what they're calling, you know, kind of a rapid scaling stage. And so what that's going to look like, you know, this year is, you know, expanding its commercial operations. You know, it's in San Francisco, it's in parts of Phoenix and Austin, Texas, you know, expanding its current operations, entering new markets, you know, preparing for uh, volume production of the origin, which is an electric and autonomous vehicle that doesn't have a steering wheel or traditional pedals or things like that. And really, you know, getting toward, you know, its goal of, of a billion dollars in revenue in 2025. Here's what he told us about that. The business has, has grown up in many ways and reached this rapid scaling phase where we're no longer trying to prove that this technology works or, you know, or even that we can do it inexpensively. We have the origin in the pipeline and a pretty good roadmap there. It's about, um, you know, reaching scale and, and driving that, that top line revenue and path to profitability. And Lindsay, I'm curious about the speed of this, because as we know, there's a lot of regulatory hoops and hurdles to go through for uh, technology as new as robo-taxis in many states and cities. Uh, has Kyle Vogt said kind of what the timeline looks like at this point? You know, he's talked about, you know, the goal of a billion dollars in revenue in 2025 is kind of the benchmark that they're on track for. You know, he did say Cruise is on track, uh, if not even ahead of that goal, you know, in a, in a couple of years. You know, this year is is going to be, you know, when they begin to start expanding some of those operations. You know, they still have, you know, a, a request out uh, with, you know, federal regulators to try and get the origin able to be deployed for commercial service. You know, so this is, it's not, you know, necessarily, you know, he didn't provide, you know, details on, you know, which cities they're going to be in or when, you know, he said, you know, by the end of this year that, you know, its operations in Austin and Phoenix could be, you know, on par or even, you know, potentially larger than San Francisco, uh, you know, but, but he did say, you know, as they begin to scale, you know, they're in kind of a rapid growth phase, but they have taken sort of this phased approach, you know, where, where they'll start small. And they'll begin to expand, you know, as the service meets, you know, certain performance standards and, you know, they can begin to add more vehicles and longer hours, you know, as it kind of meets these different uh, benchmarks that it has. And, you know, that's kind of how they've they've proceeded. So, you know, their goal really is to uh, to become kind of a mainstream transportation option, you know, an alternative to, you know, driving and, and to, you know, human operated ride hail. Big goal, really big vision. What are analysts saying about this? How realistic do they think Cruz's stated goals are? You know, the the billion dollar revenue target, you know, the analyst that I talked to said that, you know, it's realistic. It's some, you know, one of them even said it, it's it's potentially conservative. And, you know, I think what one of them told me was that, you know, it's sort of, you know, the calculation that he reached is you know, somewhere in the range of, you know, 5,500 to 6,000 vehicles that would be operating on a daily basis. You know, it breaks down to roughly, you know, 550, 600 vehicles in each location, you know, 10 cities, fares of about 250 per mile. So, you know, it sounds doable from, you know, the analyst perspective that I talked to, though reaching profitability might be, you know, a longer range target. I remember Pretty early on when I joined Automotive News was around the time that the launch in San Francisco was happening. And a lot of the news in those early days was not great for crews. I mean, we had uh, a crash, traffic snarls, 
How do you think we should think about that launch in San Francisco, especially considering that since then, it doesn't seem like those have been problematic enough to sort of stall Cruz's expansion or their ambition? Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the big challenges, you know, for Cruz, but also others in kind of that robo taxi space, right? That, you know, you have to be able to win the trust of regulators and the trust of consumers to be able to to really grow and expand that kind of service. You know, if people get in the vehicle and it's not a safe experience, you know, that's not going to give them the confidence to try again, you know, and, you know, it's had headlines for, you know, collisions and kind of clustering events where, you know, vehicles kind of all get stuck in the same location and block traffic. And, you know, even just recently, there was a, a voluntary recall of, you know, 300 of its vehicles and a software update after uh, colliding with the bus in San Francisco. And, you know, that those are those are things that, you know, obviously, you know, do raise headlines. You know, Kyle told us, you know, in particular, you know, instances like the clustering events where vehicles get stuck. They're notable because they're new. But he said, you know, the vast majority of our customers have not and never will experience anything like that. And that, you know, of their more than million driverless miles that they've operated to date, you know, there's been no life-threatening injuries or deaths. So I think, you know, that that's sort of how they're, you know, how they're looking at it. I think, you know, Kyle talks about crews really wanting to to achieve you know, that kind of mainstream transportation option to ultimately reduce traffic crashes and deaths that are caused by human drivers, human error. So, I mean, that that's the goal that they're working toward. I think, you know, that challenge of, of having to get that right over and over and over again from a safety perspective is going to be a really key thing. And they certainly seem mindful of that, you know, talking about that phased approach and starting small uh, and, and expanding from there. And with a technology this new operating in new ways and new scenarios every day that they're on the roads, they're able in some ways to correct these issues, right? That this is, it's not just that these things happen, but also when they do happen, they provide uh, insights into how to update the software, fix these kinds of uh, glitches. Um, Does it sound like Cruz is confident that you know, a lot of these things won't be repeated the more their cars are out on the road. That's one of the things they've talked about, you know, that they are able to not just learn from the the events that happen. You know, obviously they don't want events like that to happen. And so when when they do, they're able to, you know, make the adjustments that they need to make and, and get the system, you know, smarter in the sense that it, that it ideally avoids those kind of circumstances in the future. So speaking of those kinds of circumstances, you had a chance to test drive or test ride, I guess, uh, a robo taxi yourself. Talk about that experience. What was it like? Uh, you mentioned that there was a glitch. So uh, you tell us exactly how that ride went. Yeah. You know, I was out in San Francisco last month and I had the opportunity to to try out, you know, the, the self-driving technology for myself and and really wanted to to see how it works and kind of understand what that experience is like. So you know, I it's all kind of run through a mobile app. And so I, I was able to reserve the vehicle, set my destination, you know, kind of do all of that from the mobile app. And then the recommendation that I got, you know, to kind of just do a, a round trip test, test drive is kind of continuously reroute the vehicle as, as it's moving. And so I'd, I'd input a couple of destinations and we'd get close and I'd put in a new one and the car would kind of change direction and keep going. And I was I was going to do that third time, I think, to get back to my hotel. And 
there was this spinning wheel, you know, like when your system freezes and you get this little spinning, you know, icon, that's kind of what I was getting through the app and it wouldn't accept my destination. And so, you know, we're getting closer to the one that I'd previously programmed, but I couldn't get my hotel to input back in, in there. And so, you know, Cruz, realizing that we've reached the destination that I set, kind of pulled over and, you know, that was the end of the ride and I couldn't get it to to keep going. And so what I found out later was that that was actually an app glitch, you know, a software glitch that Cruz said has been addressed. You know, one of the things that they told me after the fact was, you know, they do allow consumers to reroute, you know, once they've even arrived at their program destination, you know, before they get out of the car, for whatever reason, if it doesn't look safe, you know, if their plans change, you know, I wasn't able to do that. So I'd be interested to see, you know, with that software update, if that's been addressed and if I'd be able to to get the car to, to keep going. But when I was in it, you know, what kind of struck me was, you know, it checked all those boxes that it really needed to check. You know, it stopped at the red lights and the stop signs and, you know, it knew what to do when there was a pedestrian crossing the street or somebody was trying to parallel park up ahead. You know, it, it you could feel it slow down. You could feel it observe that those obstacles were there and and really wait until it was clear before it kept moving. And so it was, you know, from that aspect of it, it was, you know, one of those kind of initially unsettling experiences, you know, that this is a new, I've never been in a car that didn't have a driver, but it was interesting to me, you know, watching it kind of check all those safety boxes that it wasn't something that I actually felt unsafe in. And, you know, it was it'd probably be something that I would, you know, that I would choose to write again. I think for me, the the question comes down to, you know, can I get where I need to go? And, you know, that's where I'd want to try and test out, you know, with that app glitch fixed, you know, does that kind of change that experience and being able to reroute? Lindsay Van Holy, thank you so much for joining us on Daily Drive and telling us how that ride went. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly those of us uh, in other parts of the country get a chance to to test it out. Thanks for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news reporters Jack Walsworth, Lawrence Iliff, and Karn Dingra for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on tech and innovation, earnings results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for an interview with Lincoln President Diane Craig and North America Director Michael Sprague. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.